Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is recapping the first and second rounds in the WNBA playoffs, and we are previewing the WNBA semifinals. So let's start with the first first round matchup between the Dallas Wings and the Chicago Sky and Jalen. I know from when from before we talked about this episode, you have a lot to say about this matchup. So I'm just going to let you take the floor and start this one off. Yes, man. Uh, I there's a lot of different routes that we can go about this, but the first thing is shout out to the Dallas Wings on a really solid season. Um, after losing 81 to 64, there's a lot of different routes that you can go with this team. You can always harp back on them struggling to close games throughout the season, and maybe that could have affected their seeding. They could have been in a different matchup against a team that wasn't um, as talented across the board as Chicago is. We'll talk about how dominant Chicago looks um, through their, you know, their first five and definitely the first two or three off the bench for them. They are a very deep team that I think this young Dallas Wings team was just not ready for in the first round. Um, so definitely big ups to Dallas. There's a lot of things that we could talk about in terms of, you know, them closing games. But I also really have to commend them for the kind of season that they had, considering that they're a really young team that really probably shouldn't have been in this position. Ryan, um, I'm going to – I definitely want to get your thoughts on that, but I definitely still kind of look back at their season and wonder how they got here. And I think that just shows how resilient this team is. You know, they missed Alicia Gray for some time in a three-on-three tournament overseas. Um, they missed um, Satu Sabali, who I would argue is at least their second best player for a good portion of the season um, due to overseas play as well. Um, Awaku Air and Charlie Collier, their two um, top two picks from this past uh, WNBA draft barely played for most of the year. We saw them in spurts here and there and definitely showed um, some upside, which is a good thing to see in their rookie year, but didn't get a lot of burn, which was something I was kind of expecting from this kind of team um, being as young as they were. Arika Agubawale had a solid WNBA season, including winning, you know, WNBA All-Star um, MVP. So this is just a really, really solid team overall. Ryan, before we get to into the series itself um what were your thoughts on Dallas's season because you know I've been really high on them and I've probably been significantly higher on them than you so for somebody that's not looking through like the the so-called rose-colored glasses so to speak right as I am what's your perspective on their season because I, I really feel like there's a lot of different routes you can go and I agree with you I think that there are a lot of different routes that we can go with this but I think just ultimately I have to give credit to the Dallas Wings because before the season, Jalen, you and I predicted that this team wouldn't make the playoffs. And I think with the amount of talented young stars that they have, I can expect to see this team in the playoff picture for many years to come, especially with the way Arike Agumbawale was playing throughout the season. She could end up being an MVP at some point. Satu Sabale, who was effective throughout the season and also during the Chicago game that we will get to in a little bit, but also I think the play of Isabel Harrison really put people on notice. And I think her being able to take over that starting center role will be a point of emphasis going forward. And also with the young players like Charlie Collier, Awakwier, Chelsea Dungy, I expect that they have more playing time in the future. So definitely good things to look for going forward with the Dallas Wings. Yeah, man, I think that there's a lot solid to look forward to in terms of this team. But let's talk about this matchup in particular. This is the uh, the very first matchup of the WNBA playoffs, like you mentioned beforehand. And the ending result of this game would make you think that this was a blowout. But for a majority of this game, Ryan, it was pretty close. I mean, through, third, through three quarters, this game was relatively close through and through. But I think that I think that youth came back to bite this Dallas Wings team and put it simply like this in the fourth quarter, they were outscored 26 to 14 and what was a close game got really hectic really quickly. So Ryan, the first thing I want to ask you in terms of this matchup was what player on either side stood out to you most of all when it came to this matchup in particular, because I feel like across the board, there were a lot of things that took place in this game that we didn't expect. Um, 
in terms of even just certain players that participated, um, Mariah Jefferson and Isabel Harrison being two of them that we discussed on our last pod that we thought might have missed this game and both actually did end up playing and both um, scored nine points apiece in this game. Um, but who were some players that stood out to you or some matchups that you saw that definitely stood out to you throughout this game? I would say one player that stepped up big time was Kalia Copper. And I feel like the entire season, she has been phenomenal. She led the team in scoring during the season with 14.4 points per game. And she had 23 in the playoff game on Thursday against the Wings, including 12 in the first quarter on six of seven shooting from the field. So she was really effective on, on the offensive side, but her impact was felt on both sides of the floor. And we talked last week about how important she was on the defensive side of the ball and Chicago as a team held Dallas to 36.2% shooting from the field. And her play on defense was a big part behind Dallas's shooting struggles. So I think Kalia Copper was definitely a player that stood out to me. I think other players that had great games, Courtney Vandersloot was 17 points, 11 points in the fourth quarter to really help give or to help extend the lead for Chicago. She also had eight uh, rebounds and six assists. Candace Parker with another double-double, 11 and 15. Allie Quigley, I think we were talking before the podcast how effective she's been throughout the playoffs. She knocked down some great shots during that game against the Dallas Wings, and she finished with 15 points. But I just feel like being consistent has to be the, the biggest thing for this guy going forward. And I think when we talk about this next matchup with the Lynx, you really see how consistent this team was on both sides of the floor. Yeah, man, the kid from North Philly, for sure, and Kalia Copper showed up big time leading all scores with 23 points. And, I mean, she's really, really starting to carve out a, carve out a role for herself as a legitimate two-way player at that small forward uh, position. As a tweener that can handle the ball, plays really well within passing lanes, just really – really good as an all ball on ball defender and not scared to on um, not scared to go seek contact either. I think that's a big thing about her game, which is so huge for this team because with a facilitator like Courtney Vandersloot, if you make yourself available, you will get the rock. So running the floor is a big part of being effective on this team. And Copper along with Diamond the Shields, who didn't have as crazy of a game in this one, but those two in particular thrive really well in a game in an offense ran by Vandersloot and I mean Copper showed out I mean you know that you know the player that I'm going to lean towards for sure it has to be Candace Parker though 11 points in this game 15 rebounds and she was a plus 15 on the uh, on the floor for the game the the stat sheet does not tell you exactly the kind of impact that she had within this game. There was a lot of command within this game in terms of her ability on both sides of the floor. She had three steals in this game, um, very under control as, um, as in terms of not drawing, you know, fouls on the defensive end. And the main thing that stood out to me is from a mismatch standpoint. And I think we said this a little bit going into this game that my question for Dallas was, who are you going to put on Candace Parker, right? And I think there were little stretches here and there where Satu Sabali was on her. But the main thing with that was Satu was pretty much limited in this game. She played 22 minutes in this game, which is, you know, solid considering the fact that she was coming off a significant injury. But it was one of those things where she was also their best legitimate option, I would argue, outside of maybe Isabel Harrison to guard Candace Parker. And that's not saying much um, considering that they both you know, were not super effective in this game. Let's go over to Dallas's side for a second and talk about the losing effort. Um, I'm going to get into Satu a little bit because there was a little bit that I saw specifically in this game that stood out to me in terms of what she did and didn't do on the floor. But um, let's let's take this time, Brian, I'm going pass to um, pass the ball over to you. Let's take this time to kind of praise Orika Agumawale's play in this in this game, right? She was one of only two players, including Satu Sabali, to score double figures for this team, led the charge with 22 points, and was pretty much the only reason why this team was in the game. I mean, easy way to lean on it, but I'd rather you further elaborate on just how effective Orika was in this game. I think her scoring ability doesn't do her justice for how good of a player she is because 
I think what you saw in college at her time at Notre Dame and coming into the league and being a part of this Dallas Wings organization, I think you you found the face of the franchise with Arike Kumbuale. And I think it, it should be noted how great of a player she is overall. I mean, we already mentioned she's a great scorer. The way she's able to create her own shot is impressive. But I think it's something interesting that you mentioned off the pod, Jalen, with Satu Sabale. I think there was a certain game plan that Dallas had that kept working where they kept getting the ball to Satu Sabale down low and she kept getting contact and going to the line. And I feel like during the game, they really should have kept with that, but they went away from that game plan and it ended up backfiring. So Jalen, I kind of want to pass the ball back to you because I kind of want you to explain more about this game plan that Dallas had to get the ball to Satu Sabali more. Yeah, man. So this this is pretty much my understanding of what took place. And Enrique had a really solid game. And you have to you have to really commend her for getting 22 points under the kind of duress that she was under. I mean, you have to look at the fact that Marina Mabry didn't play very well. Only three points in this game from the backcourt. They got um, nine points from Mariah Jefferson, nine points from Alicia Gray. Not nothing from Kayla Thornton at all. Um, I mean, she was getting all kind of looks, too. That was the main thing that was really interesting to me from a defensive perspective. But she was getting Kalia Copper one-on-one. She was getting Diamond Shields one-on-one. She was seeing Candace Parker at the top of the key in certain situations, getting doubles where Courtney Vanders through would cover passing lanes. Like, she was being swarmed on a regular basis. So you could tell that Chicago's main focus was to shut down Arike, and it was – relatively effective for the most um for the most part by giving her different looks so let's go to Satu for a second one of the big things that stood out to me with Satu Sabali you kind of alluded to it a little bit but I'm going to kind of take it a step further was not just her ability around the basket as a finisher but specifically the fact that Satu Sabali is a really strong ball handler it's not intense we're not talking about the kind of tight ball handling um ability that Arika Agumawale does ha- does have in terms of like shaking and baking defenders being able to put people in the blender things like that right I'm not putting Satu in that kind of category but she has a deep enough bag offensively that there was a couple of possessions that you can see in blatant highlights, just from watching the highlights of the game, that said, if you give Satu Sabali the ball at the top of the key and give her a chance to operate, this sounds like oddly like a player that I'm going to reference her to. And it's not a great comparison, but it's an interesting comparison. The downhill ability is so similar to like a Giannis Antetokounmpo of being able to start at the top of the basket, use your physicality and finish around the rim through contact is one of the things that really stood out to me for Satu in this game. Now, again, she was coming off of basically an Achilles injury. So the limited time that she played in this game, again, only about 22 minutes, makes sense. But what I'm saying is that I think there were situations where she could have been a lot more effective as a one-on-one player in a game where they, where Chicago clearly was trying to take Arika Agumwale out of the game. It was blatant. And so with that being the case, I think there was a lot more opportunity for Satu to be able to step up. And I don't know if this is strictly due to the injury or if, like you mentioned beforehand, maybe the game plan. But I think that there was a couple more opportunities where Satu Sabali could have taken advantage of the mismatches that she was creating at the top of the key as a really, really dope finisher around the rim. It'll be something that they learn from. And I don't blame anybody at all because at the end of the day, Chicago was giving them a lot of different looks. And realistically, Dallas was relatively undermanned if we're talking about the health they were coming in with. But it's definitely something to learn from. And we definitely have a lot to look forward to from Sabali and Agumbuwale as a duo, because I think as they continue to expand their offensive games, they're going to learn that sometimes putting the team on your back is the way that you're going to come out of these kind of winner go home series. And I think both of them have the capability to do it, even against a high power team like Chicago. Yeah. And I think that with, with the injuries that you were talking about, with Satu Sabali coming off that Achilles injury, also Isabel Harrison missing some time due to COVID, I think kind of having other players stepping up was the big thing going forward in this playoff game. And other than Enrique Gubawale, you didn't really see that from the supporting cast. Marina Mabry didn't have that great of a game. 
Kayla Thornton didn't have that great of a game either. Alicia Gray, Mariah Jefferson as well. Like they all struggled against Chicago. I just think that's the big thing going forward. I think just developing these young players will definitely help Dallas down the line. And I think that, like I mentioned earlier, I, th- I would not be surprised if this team ends up in the playoff picture every single, every single year. But it's interesting because when we talk about the supporting cast, we have to talk about this next matchup between the New York Liberty and the Phoenix Mercury. And Jalen, we have been saying the entire year about the Phoenix Mercury supporting cast. Who is going to step up? And the supporting cast got it done. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the best way to put it. This was a game where, I mean, you pretty much needed backup to play at the optimal level is the best way for me to mention this in terms of talking about Phoenix in particular, right? This was a game that was nip and tuck the entire way. Um, A big thing that we did not really take into consideration as much was the fact that Diana Taurasi would not be participating. Um, That was something that definitely struck me and I thought was going to have a significant hit on what this team did from a backcourt standpoint. But I mean, look, player of the game by far, right, has to be Sophie Cunningham, right? 21 points um, in a big, big game situation where she was filling up um that space where Diana Taurasi mainly would have probably been playing at as the lead guard I mean her and Shea Petty shared a lot of the time um and Sophie Cunningham six of seven from three-point land I mean that's pretty much her story as it is and I mean the the funny part about the six of seven was that a lot of those three-point buckets came at really timely situations um something else that I really want to point out too is the play of Brittany Griner. So like what you'll see is if you look at the box score for Brittany Griner versus Natasha Howard, you would think that they played pretty much even. That's what you would think based on just the the box scores alone. But if you actually watch the game, look back at their matchups within the game, Natasha Howard had a pretty quiet night low key. I mean, for the fact that she dropped 16 and 10, it was very unnoticeable. I would say that a a good handful of her baskets came in the second quarter where it really mattered. And I think that's an important factor to point out, but you could argue that Brittany Griner had an overall more impactful night. And the place where you can tell the most of that is the six assists comparison. Um, The six assists came from a lot of double teams in the post for Brittany Griner, which was something that, You probably would have gotten an understand of coming into this game, considering she has the height advantage over Natasha Howard. But I did not think it was going to be so apparent that New York was going to pull other defenders away to help Natasha Howard. Remember, we're talking about a former defensive player of the year, right? When we're talking about Howard. So I thought they were going to just let them go at it 1v1. But Brittany Griner drew a lot more attention in this game than I would have expected. And maybe that has to do with Diana Taurasi being out. So then playing through the post became more important. But, man, I mean, Phoenix Phoenix did what they had to do. And, Ryan, the way that last possession went, this all came down. This all came down to an untimely foul and Breonna Turner uh, sealing the deal. She had 12 points on the night, and some final second free throws is probably her biggest points of the game by far. So, I mean – this was a game that that had a little bit of everything. Well, this was a great game for both teams. And I think the Liberty kept themselves in this game because of the fact that the injury to Diana Taurasi allowed them to focus more of their attention on Brittany Griner. I think the one thing that Phoenix really missed in this matchup from Diana Taurasi was her playmaking ability. And then when you take away Taurasi, you have more players to focus on Brittany Griner. And I think that's really what happened because – Griner only attempted about eight shots in the game and the Liberty were double teaming and triple teaming her. And it, it's just, it's, it's very interesting because of the fact that she still had a pretty good game with 16 points, 10 rebounds, six assists and three blocks. And because of the, uh, because of the Tarasi injury, like I mentioned earlier, we had to look to the supporting cast. It almost forced someone else to step up. And 
this was something we just kept talking about throughout the season. Who's going to step up in this supporting cast? And I'm not going to lie to you, Jalen. It came as a surprise to me that we would be talking about Sophie Cunningham at the end of this game. <laughs> and let's just let's just talk about how good Cunningham was. Like you mentioned, she had 21 points. That was maybe the best playoff game of her career, but maybe the best overall game of her young career. She came into the season averaging or she she ended the season averaging 5.6 points per game. She had 21 points, including six threes, and five of them came in the second half. So I think you have to put a lot of the credit on Sophie Cunningham because she was amazing in leading a Phoenix comeback. And now it's going to lead to another great matchup with the Seattle Storm that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, man. I mean, looking at it from the New York standpoint, this is another team that we were high on. I'm going to end up passing the floor back to you really quickly because this was actually your team in terms of this season, in terms of being really high on them. I agreed with you a lot throughout the season, but this was a team that you came in to the season really high on, really hot on in terms of the combination of Sabrina Ionescu and Natasha Howard. And again, we didn't get to see that combination as much as we would have liked this season, which makes next season even more intriguing um, because the the hope is that we'll be able to get a full season of those two together. Benaja Laney definitely had what could have been an MVP caliber year, um, depending on how you look at it. Definitely all-star deserved for sure. Um, Ryan, I'm just going to let you kind of talk about this team in terms of not only their season, but how they played in this game. I mean, you want to talk about depth and players showing up big in big moments. I mean, outside of their starting five, they did not get very much production off the bench. And I think that at the end of the day, as a nip and tuck game, you could argue that that might be one of the bigger storylines of the game outside of the late the late end of fourth quarter foul that pretty much flipped everything on its heels. Yeah. So just talking about the season for the New York Liberty, they went, they were off to a pretty good start, even without Natasha Howard, because I think at at that point she had only played one game in that season in the season um, before returning to the team late, late in the WNBA season. But I think the play of Benaja Laney was what really kept this team afloat. And then having Sabrina healthy as a playmaker I thought was just another boost to this energetic offense because this team was lighting it up from three point territory. And I think it was really because of players like Benaja Laney, players like Sammy Wickham and Rebecca Allen, who are all great three point shooters. But I think the thing that, that really hurt this team. And we talked about it throughout the season injuries because Sabrina ended up getting hurt. In the middle of the season, she had an ankle issue, and then Natasha Howard was out for a pretty significant amount of time. I think losing those two players really hurt this team, and I think Benaja Laney did all that she could to kind of keep this team afloat with her multiple games of of 20 points. I think she had like a streak of multiple games with 20-plus points throughout the season, and that's really what put her in the MVP category. I think the injuries to Sabrina and Natasha were just too much for New York to overcome, and Going into the playoffs with the worst winning percentage in WNBA history doesn't help your case at all. So I definitely had high expectations for the Liberty this year, but I think next year with Sabrina and Natasha Howard fully healthy, I think that there's a chance that we can look at those expectations and move them over into this next season, because I think with this team fully healthy, they're definitely a championship team. And I mean, at the end of the day, Ryan, we can argue that for both of these games, late game execution is what the the main narrative in terms of how these games closed out was. For Dallas, late game was more like the fourth quarter in terms of how that game turned out. And for New York, it really took that last that last gas in the final two minutes of the game where Phoenix really turned things around um, significantly and kept things as close as they could. And again, that foul at the end, that's a tough way to lose, man. But at the same time, um, very, very big on Brianna Turner's side of things to be able to knock them down. I thought that was huge as well for her to be able to close the game out because that's a situation where you can sell. <laughs> you can sell and your season's on the line at that free throw line and you're standing there by yourself. And mind you, when you look at the top five, especially in this game in particular, Brianna Turner is probably what the fourth player you want at the line in terms of 
you know, money, money on the line, game, uh, game to be able to move on to the next round. You know, that's huge for her to be able to hit those big buckets at the end um, and close this game out. But Ryan, before we move on to the next series, let's close out with the lat with uh with this in terms of the two teams that got eliminated um in the in this round. And let's start with Dallas real quick and let's both share what we feel is one thing that will make this team better next season if they improve on it. What is one thing that you think if they improve on something in particular, one thing in particular, it could be the difference between being taken out in the first round as we saw this season and being a legit championship contender next year. So starting with Dallas, I would say experience, because I think with the amount of young players that they have, they definitely need to have that time to develop. And especially with with just trying to build a supporting cast around Ricky Gubuale, I think trying to add some more experience on this team could be beneficial. Yeah, I really think that that's a good route to go in terms of this team being so young. We talked about that heavily when the year started. And it would be interesting to see if they could add a little bit more experience to their roster. But I also think this playoff experience in itself helped. And another thing that goes underrated is, Ryan, experience amongst each other. Again, this was a team that was split up in a lot of different ways throughout the season. If they can get a legitimate offseason together to participate with each other in offseason workouts and different things like that, you know all of these ladies participate in some kind of overseas play, of course. So they're staying in the mix in terms of the basketball sphere but in terms of being able to work out amongst each other and things of that nature it'll be really huge if they can get an offseason together to play with one another my one thing that I want to see is this team grow within their two top stars I think that if Arike Agumbawale and Satu Sabali can continue to build upon this star power that they developed I mean Satu Sabali is a Jordan Brand player now um, and has been really solid all season I think if she can hit that next superstar gear as a go-to option for this team we've seen it in spurs you know my bail game it's always that matchup early in the season against the Las Vegas Aces where her and Aja Wilson went blow for blow that is the upside of what Satu Sabali can be and everything we saw in the um the all-star game for Rika Gumbawale pretty much is who she is on a regular basis. And I think her secondary gear is just growing as a playmaker for others. I think she can get her own shot, create her own shot in all kinds of ways, off the bounce, everything. But becoming more of a facilitator for this high power team is gonna help grow players like Alicia Gray, like Marina Mabry and down the line further for these bigs that they've added to the lineup. Talking about Charlie Collier and um, Awakuyer, the facilitating aspect of Arika Agumbawale, if that can grow, those gears for those two players create a completely different upside for this team. Now for New York, I think this one gets tricky because I think that this one, I think they're on the cusp already and they don't have a lot to add. But what do you think? What is what is one thing you think they could do differently or add to this team that whether it's, you know, you know, internally or an external move like something on the roster that can make them a championship team next year? I don't think there's really anything that they can do. I think it's just more or less about staying healthy because Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, without Natasha Howard for those first couple of games, New York was playing some of their best basketball. I think at one point they were five and two and we had them at number two in our power rankings at, at one point. So I think just having everyone available and having all hands on deck, I think will be the big thing going forward. I think the one thing that really impressed me was Kylie Shook, because I think the the play of Kylie Shook um, in place of Natasha Howard for that extended period of time, I think she showed that she can hold it down at the center position. So I think they, they can build through the draft, but also just stick with their core. And if everybody can stay healthy, this is a, this is a championship team. Yeah, I mean, I agree that health is definitely a big thing. Something that I feel like is within their control is the development of Michaela Onyemwere, who I believe is going to win the Rookie of the Year. 
um realistically has a pretty solid chance at doing that for this um for this year and year two is going to be huge because I really think that this team needs secondary and tertiary shot creation as well as ball handlers we know that Benaja Laney can do it but she's been given a lot of the scoring responsibility for this team we know that Sabrina is a very strong ball handler and facilitator for this team but Considering her health has been in question a lot over the last two seasons, there is a little bit that you have to be able to pull off her shoulders as a main facilitator for this team. And I think that Michaela Onyemwe, if she can meet them in the middle and be a bit of a two-way player for them that can take take uh, Sabrina off the ball a little bit more, create more um, scoring opportunities in ways that will be able to take away from Benaja Laney's scoring load and be able to create more for others and stuff. I think that will really help a lot. I think that the development of Michaela will be very important in terms of how this backcourt can progress, because I think a full season with Natasha Howard will help improve them defensively. I think that's one big missing link they have for most of the year. But then outside of that, I, I mean, if Michaela Onyemwe can develop as a ball handler, that helps with them controlling the turnovers, which has been a huge thing for this team. That helps control the scoring options for this team, which is huge, considering that right now, it's the pecking order for that is really interesting because some would argue that Sabrina is their best player, but Sabrina is probably their third best scorer overall, which is not really, you know, equal, not very normal on the equilibrium considering the circumstances I think Michaela Onyemwer balances things out significantly for this team if she can develop and take that next step so moving on now to our semi-final matchups and the first one we're going to talk about the Phoenix Mercury and the Seattle Storm and Jalen another overtime classic between two teams with two legendary players and the possibility, it looks like that Super may have played her last WNBA game. But also looking at, looking at it from the Seattle side, this team kept it competitive without Brianna Stewart on the floor. Yeah, man. And that was something that we did not take into consideration. We did not know that she was not going to be in this game. Um, definitely something that went under the radar for us going into this matchup and it probably was a big swing skill missed in terms of the kind of shot creation, the kind of two-way defensive ability on both sides of the floor that she provides as both a shot blocker and somebody who can play passing lanes that they were missing out on. And this was a game that Seattle only lost by five points. And I'm pretty sure that a former MVP in Brianna Stewart can make up for a five-point deficit against this Phoenix Mercury team. So I really believe that missing out on Stewart was – easily the difference between a Seattle victory and what became a Seattle loss. Um, like you mentioned beforehand, could potentially be the end of an era for Sue Bird, who had um, 16 points along with um, three rebounds and five assists. I mean, we, got, we heard the end of game chance from the crowd for one more season. Whether or not she takes that into consideration will be really interesting. There were talks about the fact that uh, Brianna Stewart is going into unrestricted free agency this offseason as well. She has already clarified that she'll be re-signing with the Seattle Storm. I don't think that's something that we have to worry about or really discuss too much in terms of what the future of this team is just yet until we see what Sue Bird decides to do. Um. But yeah, man, I mean, this was a game where they hung in pretty well. Katie Lou Samuelson led the charge with 18 points um, for Seattle. Uh, Mercedes Russell had a double-double with 10 points, along with 12 rebounds. Jewel Lloyd did Jewel Lloyd things in terms of hitting 15, um, uh, getting 15 points and being really solid from the free throw line, 505. The big thing for her was that she was a dud from the three-point line, 0 of 7. I mean, it was just a really competitive game, which probably was um, shocking to most, I'll say, considering that Stewie was out of this game. First of all, I would like to echo the sentiments of the Storm fans by saying that I would also like to see Subert for one more year. But if this is the last time that we see her on the court, she's had an amazing career. And I think she will go down as one of the best players in WNBA history. But 
I think just looking at how Seattle played without Brianna Stewart, you mentioned Katie Lou Samuelson with a career high, 18 points. Sue Bird had a great game. And then also Mercedes Russell, who had 10 points and 12 rebounds and also had a key block at the end of the fourth quarter and helped push the game to overtime. But I think the big thing that really hurt this team was the play of Jewel Lloyd. And she put, she put up 15 points, but she mentioned she shot 0 of 7 from 3, 5 of 24 from the field. And not to mention she missed what could have been a game winner in the final moments of the fourth quarter. So I think having Brianna Stewart on the floor would have definitely been a difference maker for Seattle. But just looking at the play of the Phoenix Mercury, getting Diana Taurasi back, I think was huge because having that playmaking ability, I think adds another element to this Phoenix Mercury offense. And I mean, you could tell how good she was. She had 14 points in the game. She hit a three in overtime off of a block by uh, Brianna Turner. And then speaking of Brianna Turner, she had a 12.12 rebound double-double. She had that big block in overtime to help swing the momentum in the favor of the Mercury. I would have to give the MVP of this game to Brittany Griner, who, again, was just dominating in this game. 23 points, 16 rebounds, four assists, and two blocks. And she made some key plays to help this team or to keep this team in the game, including scoring eight of the team's final nine points down the stretch to force overtime. And considering that Brittany Griner has been playing at this high level since the Olympic break, she will pretty much have to continue to play like this for the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, definitely something to look forward to in terms of her. And I mean, she led the charge. Her and Breonna Turner could not combine for nine offensive rebounds, nine of the team's 14, and they out-rebounded Seattle um, in terms of the offensive glass, 14 to six. I mean, that alone, you could argue, was a big was a big swing in the game was just those extra created opportunities. That's eight more extra opportunities that uh, the that Phoenix got that Seattle didn't. Um, so Brittany Griner definitely played huge in this game. But to go back to what you said about Diana Taurasi, I mean, Ryan, one of the easiest ways to point out her impact on the game beyond just the, you know, the box, box score stats of, you know, points, rebounds, assists, plus 17 on the floor to lead all players in this game. I mean, that that alone <laughs> should tell you the kind of impact and influence she has on being able to run this offense. And um, I think that was huge. Um, getting a big game from Skylar Diggins-Smith as well with 20 points um, was really big, was um, pretty under control overall in this game. Like I said, 20 points, six assists, seven rebounds, um, three of them coming on the offensive glass, which was huge. Um, left some left something to be desired considering she didn't shoot very well from three or from the charity strike three of eight um, from both beyond the arc and at the free throw line. That's something that I think is relatively uncharacteristic for her. And I don't think will continue very much for this uh, for this um, playoff run for them. One of the big things, Ryan, that will be kind of important moving forward for this Phoenix Mercury team will be free throw shooting, though. I mean, in this game, if there's one thing that made this game relatively close when it probably shouldn't have been, it's shooting 8 of 29 as a team from the free throw line. That's leaving 21 points, 21 points of the charity strike left off the left off the table. That's the difference between this being a five-point game and being a near 20-point blowout, essentially, considering the kind of possessions that were left on the table. So I definitely think that there's some things left to be desired um, for this team, and it'll be really important to see if they can capitalize from the free throw line moving forward. Um, Seattle was 15 of 16, not as many free throw attempts, but they were knocking them down at a high clip. And that was huge for them in terms of being able to stay in this game. Phoenix is going to have to be able to capitalize at the free throw line moving forward if they want to be able to get out of the semifinal round. We'll talk about the semifinal first game matchup that we saw a little bit later on in the pod, but that's going to be an important narrative to keep an eye out on in terms of Phoenix being able to be a legit championship contender as we get further along this playoffs. So moving on now to the second game of the second round between the Chicago sky and the Minnesota Lynx. And Jalen, this was another shocking game that I think you predicted because you had Chicago B 
beating the Minnesota Lynx in this game. And I think the consistency for Chicago has been great for them on both sides of the floor because I think we, we really missed that in their first game because Dallas kept fighting their way back into the game. But I think when Chicago needed to step up, they stepped up. Yeah, man. I mean, the biggest thing for me when I look at this game is the fact that this is where the depth really comes into play, right? Candace Parker only has eight points in this game. Allie Quigley cools off a smidge with only 11 points in this game, but Courtney Vandersloot still has 19, five and five. Kalia Copper and Diamond and Shields combined for 30. And Azura Stevens steps up in the front court in place of Candace Parker, who wasn't having that great of a game offensively, comes out with 15 points of her own along with eight rebounds. Thought that was extremely huge. Big thing for Azura Stevens, seven of eight from the free throw line. That was big. Not a great three-point shooting night for the team, six of 24. But I just think it goes to show you that on any given night, they have somebody who can step up in place of one of their players not playing up to their full potential. And I think that it's really a mainstay for this team throughout the season because they've always had this kind of versatility on offense and defense where Candace Parker can be effective on the defensive end and not have to put her imprint on the game offensively and they still be successful. I think that's one of the bigger things that stood out for Chicago. And then when you look at the circumstances for Minnesota, a great season for them across the board. But if there's two things that stand out to me over anything, it's the fact that in their backcourt, Kayla McBride and Ariel Powers, both with six turnovers apiece. That's 12 turnovers between the two of them. Chicago only had 16 turnovers as a team. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a significant swing because you're talking about the difference between 20 total turnovers for Minnesota and 16 for Chicago, but 12 of them alone came from two players for Minnesota. And then the other thing that definitely hurt them was the underwhelming play of both Nafisa Collier and Lasia Clarendon. Ryan, you were very high on Lasia Clarendon when she first got on this team as an early season pickup that one could argue was the start to an avalanche of a revitalized season for them after the beginning, beginning of the season. She was goose egg over in this game. And then Nafisa Collier, only eight points in this game, did have three steals, was facing a little bit of foul trouble. So was uh, Sylvia Fowles, who actually ended up with six fouls in this game and fouling out, but just not a really solid performance from two of their primary playmakers in Nafisa Collier and Laser Clarendon, two players who were going to have to be really good in this game in order to give them a legitimate shot. And it's honestly, one could argue that it was a bit of surprise that 13 points was as much of a deficit as this game was, because I honestly could argue that it could have been worse. And I think it could have been worse because of the fact that in total, Chicago forced 20 turnovers. And on offense, I mean, you look at, look, you look at how dominant of an offensive team Chicago has been throughout the playoffs they're averaging a 106.9 offensive rating in the playoffs. And they're playing some of their best basketball at the right time. And they're getting a lot of their offensive production from different players. And this time it was Diamond to Shields who stepped up and had a great game for the Sky. She came off the bench and had 14 points, three rebounds, and two steals. And she was pretty much testing how good this Minnesota front court was by getting to the line six times. And she scored all of her points in the paint and she was pressuring them throughout the game. And I think the shields was reminding us of how good of a finisher at the rim she was as well. And I think that she could be an X factor for the sky going forward. And she could be very valuable for the sky in the semifinals, but just, just talking about the Minnesota links for a second, we talk about how, how big of an issue the turnovers were, but their turnovers were turning into fast break points for the Chicago sky Jalen, the Sky outscored the Minnesota Lynx 22-4 to in fast break points. I'll say this to close it out because I think it was disappointing to not see these two teams in a series because I think these two teams would have had an amazing playoff series. But Jalen, the Sky looked like the title contender you predicted them to be. Yeah, man, I, I really like that point that you made about what it would have been 
what it could have been had this been a legit best of five series. I think it would have been really interesting to see the blow for blow matchups that could have been created throughout this series, especially because I think that the matchup specifically bet between Caleb McBride and Kalia Copper could be one that on a night-to-night -night basis could be nip and tuck. And the the battle front court wise, I I mean, don't get me wrong, Candace Parker, you know, NBA 2K cover uh, recipient, as we like to, you know, reference her on the podcast. But the combination of Candace Parker and Azura Stevens versus Nafisa Collier and Sylvia Fowles is an interesting one that you could argue from a talent-to-talent -talent basis. You could be in favor of Collier and Fowles as a duo against um, Parker, Parker and um, Stevens. So with that being the case, I think a series would have been really interesting to see how the matchups develop. But you talk about their fast break points being one of the bigger things. Ryan, I think that's so important because we talked about it for most of the year. Minnesota was one of those teams that plays heavily through their front court. And that was something that definitely Chicago took advantage of. Uh, Courtney Vandersloot, again, had five assists in this game. There were 16 total assists as a team. And again, you create avenues, passing lanes for a player like Courtney Vandersloot, for a player like Candace Parker, who also had three assists in this game of her own, for players like Kalia Copper, who like to run the floor, like Diamond De Shields, who can finish through contact, likes to run the floor as well, like Allie Quigley, who is as good of a good of a catch and shoot three point shooter in this league as it gets. When you have that kind of firepower. If this team gets on the break, they are dangerous. And they they showed it in this game, and it was huge because they used the firepower they had as a run-and-gun offensive team against a Minnesota Lynx team that relies heavily on slowing the ball down, killing you through the paint, and doing their damage in the front court, and they just weren't able to do that. And I think the Chicago Sky carried their momentum into their – semifinal matchup with the Connecticut Sun because if game one proved anything, we have a great series ahead of us. Mm -hmm. You have a great point there, my friend. I mean, as I mean, double OT to kick the series off. I mean, look, I said it before on the last episode that I felt as though Chicago was my sleeper team and my original prediction was that Chicago versus Las Vegas would be the finals, but it would be at the expense of whether or not they could get through the Connecticut Sun. My default was Connecticut versus Las Vegas, just out of the mere fact of those two being positioned really well to be able to make a really interesting finals matchup. But I told you, whatever team sees Connecticut, and my assumption was that it was going to be Chicago. If Chicago could take down Connecticut, it would be a completely different story. My biggest thing for them was just whether or not they had the firepower to do it, and they proved that. My main thing I said beforehand really was the winner of the Chicago versus Connecticut series would be the one that wins the finals. That's actually That was actually my original prediction. Um, and so far, it's looking like Chicago was making a lot of noise early on. Um, I'm going to let you kind of share the uh, the nooks and crannies of this game. But again, a double OT game that was pretty crazy. We'll talk about some of the really individual, really interesting individual matchups in a sec. But uh, just give give guys, um, give ladies and gents a little bit of a rundown of just how crazy this game was. Just to tell you how crazy this game was, game one was the fifth time in WNBA playoff history that a game has gone to double overtime. And you talk about some other records being set. Courtney Vandersloot recorded the second ever triple-double in playoff history, and she also set the record for assists with 18. And then outside of Vandersloot, I think you talk about the effect of Candace Parker because she was effective on both sides of the floor, 22-point game, and then Allie Quigley had another great game, adding 19 points. Kalia Copper adding 13 points. And then you look at the big three for the Connecticut Sun, who all had great games, and all of them posted double-doubles. And not to mention, Jalen, the Connecticut Sun lost their first game last night since July 3rd. To tell you how good that the Connecticut Sun have been from that stretch, they had not lost a game since July 3rd. 
Now, looking at the series as a whole, I think that the series is going to be based on who the better offensive team is because these are two of the best offensive teams in the league. And we've seen so many players for the sky step up when they needed them to. Kalia Copper in the first round, Diamond to Shields in the second round, Courtney Vandersloot in game one last night. I think the Sun are in a situation where they have to look at they have to look to their supporting cast. I think getting Alyssa Thomas back is great because she adds another scoring threat to this offense. I think Natisha Heideman could be another scoring threat for Connecticut if she can get more minutes off the bench. And then even someone like Jasmine Thomas or Brianne January could have a Sophie Cunningham like game and be a difference maker in this series. But Chicago is riding a lot of momentum heading into, into game two. And I think Vandersloot's playmaking ability is something Chicago will have to continue to rely on as they continue in this series. Yeah, man. I mean, the play of Vandersloot is hit is huge. 12, 18, and 10. Um, mentioned it a little bit beforehand and definitely talked about it off the pot a little bit. But, you know, only the second ever triple-double in WNBA playoff history, which was huge, and 18 assists um, was a record of its own. Candace Parker played huge. One of the bigger things, and Ryan, I'm actually going to go opposite of you in terms of the uh, one of the big crooks of this game, of this game and of this series, being which team plays better offensively. I'll argue that whatever team shows up more on the defensive end might actually be what may be the tail of the tape for this game and this series um, ahead, just because. Let's look at this series just in its own. Let's look at this game just in its own minute uh, faction of this, what this series could look like. The Chicago Sky held the Connecticut Sun to just under 38% shooting from the floor as a team, as opposed to Chicago, who shot nearly 50% from the floor as a team. I think that by itself is a really good indicator that Chicago's versatility stood out on the defensive end. I think the number two thing is that the depth of this of these two teams continues to kind of show which team is on the uptick and which team might be looking at their, you know, looking at their demise a little bit. And in this case, again, Connecticut might be in a weird situation through two over through four quarters and two overtimes. Connecticut's second best player, arguably, is Dewana Bonner, who only had 13 points along with 10 rebounds in this game. John Quill Jones, a.k.a. MVP Jones, had 26 points in this game along with 11 rebounds. And Brianna Jones had 22 points and 10 rebounds in this game. She actually was um, voted most improved player um, of the year. They did their job, but Dewana Bonner is really interesting to see that she has such a significantly off game across the board. One of four from three, five of 17 from the floor, only two of three from um, from the free throw strike, which I thought was really interesting because she's one of those players that definitely loves to create contact and finish through contact, create opportunities for her to score, score at the line. And then, Ryan, I'm going to let you deep dive into this part because I think that this is something you have been harping on all year. But the lack of guard play that Connecticut is getting has been probably their biggest question mark all season. Five points from Jasmine Thomas, nine points from Natisha Heidemann, uh, seven points from Alyssa Thomas. Um, Dijanae Carrington did not get any PT in this game whatsoever. Like, I mean, it's it's tough, man. I mean, even Brian January only had nine points in this game. I mean, across the board, their backcourt's lack of production, I think, is really hurting them. And in comparison to a team in Chicago who has Kalia Copper, Allie Quigley, Courtney Vandersloot, Diamond DeShields, uh, I mean, even Dana Evans um, here and there has uh, is given them a little bit of time on the floor. The fact that Chicago has the kind of guard that they have in comparison to Connecticut, I think is going to be a big talking point for the rest of the series. And I think this is a situation much like with Phoenix in terms of looking for someone to step up in the supporting cast. And that's why I meant when I made the reference to Sophie Cunningham, because you look at this team, they have players that can step up. They have players that can have great games. We saw with Natisha Heideman. Uh, when the season got started, she was lights out from three-point territory. And then Alyssa Thomas, before she got injured, she was a great player for this Connecticut Sun team. Where are they in the playoffs, though? That's the thing. We need we need to see how good they are in the playoffs. We need to see them get the playing time so that they can shine. 
I think their entire starting lineup for the Connecticut Sun had 40 plus minutes in the game. And that included Jasmine Thomas and Brianne January, who did not have that great, who, who did not have that great of a game in game one against the Chicago sky. So I think you, you have to look toward the supporting cast because I don't think the current big three is getting it done for you against a very talented team, in the Chicago sky that can, that can hurt you from all different angles. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I look to in this game and in this series is the versatility. Again, I'm going to keep harping on this word because of the fact that Chicago, I mean, it bleeds this when we talk about the kind of players that they have across the board in terms of shot creation, three-point shooting, um, the fact that they have variance in their in their lineups where they can play Kalia Copper, Courtney Vanishloo, and Diamond Shields all together with Candace Parker as a pseudo center for them and still be able to bring a player like Ali Quigley on the floor, have four potential shooters, four potential players that can handle the ball along with Candace Parker, who can take a little bit of the ball handling responsibility as well. I mean, just across the board, Chicago top to bottom looks like they are in a lot better position from a depth perspective. Now, it's going to be interesting because of in a best of five, this is different from the original two series that we talked about to kick off the show because now we've seen a little bit of what's taking place. The question will be in game two, what the matchups will dictate and what from game one will be take uh will be taken um into the next setups for these uh these upcoming rounds. So Ryan, I'm gonna transition to you by asking you this question before we move on to the next series. And we'll try to, you know, pose this question for both series uh for the semifinals. But for both teams, what do you think is a big point of emphasis that needs to be focused on heading into game two and game three, um, considering when the next time we'll probably be recording what both of those games have been played. I would say for Chicago, it's their playmaking ability, and they have playmakers on this team. And Courtney Vandersloot, with how good she is in game one, her ability to spread the floor, her ability to, to get the ball to everyone on the team so that they have the ability to shine, I mean, if you talk about the last possession that really shut down game one for the for the Chicago Sky, it was a pass to Candace Parker that helped give them the two-point lead. And then a, another pass to Stephanie Dolson helped extend their lead to four. And at that point, you could just kind of feel the tide turning in the favor of the Chicago Sky when they were trying to close out this game. So I think the ability of their playmakers will be the thing that carries them over the edge. And like I said earlier with the Connecticut Sun, I think you need your supporting cast right now because Natisha Heidemann, Brian January, Jasmine Thomas, I think they are due for a big game at some point in this series. And you just have to look outside of your big three. Who outside your big three is going to step up? And that's where you have to turn to Jasmine Thomas, Brian January, and Natisha Heidemann. Even someone like Dijanae Carrington could go off and have a great game in this series, but you need to give them the time. Yeah, man, I think that that's a really interesting point in terms of talking about their guard play, because I, I mean, that's arguably their biggest flaw for this team is the fact that their guard play has not been that great throughout the season. I would say for Chicago, the biggest thing for them moving forward is to continue to play with the same kind of pace that they've been playing with. The up-tempo style is what benefits them the most because they have the kind of players, the kind of athletes to be able to play out on the break um in transition around the basket from behind the three-point line do damage from all across the court and with Candace Parker helping operate that alongside Courtney Vanishloo they have facilitating from the top of the key from within the post and around all four corners um on the offensive side so I think that's huge for them is to continue to play with that up-tempo pace and make this a track meet team make this a track meet series because if Connecticut is forced to play at Chicago's pace Connecticut's going to have a long series ahead of them, and they might not be as competitive as they would like to be in what is only a semifinal round. And then for Connecticut, Ryan, I love your point about the guard play, but I'm going to just put it really simple. Give John Quill Jones the dang ball. Ryan, I, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I want to point it out now before, before it's too late. Ryan, if you go back and look at this, this game in particular – from the very end of the fourth quarter through the two overtimes, 
Sean Paul Jones did not get the ball on the last on the last Connecticut Sun possession in any of those situations. Not at the end of the fourth quarter, not at the end of the first overtime. And of course, by the end of the second overtime, it wasn't as uh, prominent within that situation because the game was not nearly as close to be able to either seal the deal or, you know, lose, so to speak. It was one of those games where it was one of those circumstances where the game was already out of reach relatively in that, that second OT. But in the two opportunities being the end of the fourth quarter and the end of the first overtime, John Quill Jones did not touch the ball at all. That is your best shot creator. She is the MVP. She is easily your best team, uh, your best player um, team wise. She was having the best night of all the players on the floor. Four for four from the free throw line, two of five from three, 10 of 21 overall from the floor, played about 45 minutes. She was their best player productivity wise, start to finish in all facets of the game. I would argue that Brianna Jones might have had a really uh, might have had a better night than her on the defensive end. But from an offensive shot creation standpoint, you got to give John Cole Jones the rock and let her be the player to close out the game for you. And the fact that she didn't touch the ball in either one of those closing opportunities really stood out to me. So I think that that's going to be huge. Give your top guys, give your top players the ball to close the game let them win or lose the game for you the fact that she was not given that opportunity in two okay two different occasions in this game definitely stands out to me and i love the way how you alley-ooped that to me because we're talking about this next series the last semifinal series between the phoenix mercury and the las vegas aces i think that point could be made for the stars in this series Brittany griner with 21 with 24 points and then the backcourt trio of Raquina Williams, Chelsea Gray, and Kelsey Plum all had big games. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing. I mean, when you look across the board, this team got huge play from their backcourt across across the board. When you talk about the fact that Jackie Young um, at the small forward position didn't give you a lot offensively, but that's not really her game. She's out there to be a defensive stopper for this team. The fact that Kelsey Plum stepped up huge for them along with Chelsea Gray, I mean, they both combined for basically, what, about 42 points um, as a unit. Um, the big X factor for me in this game was Liz Cambridge, who we thought was not going to be able to play. And although she was in limited minutes, she only had about less than 10 minutes on the floor, but seven points in that time frame. And her and uh, Brittany Griner had an interesting back and forth in the post for a little bit in this game, which is also a really good sight to see because it shows that her energy is up. And that's going to be a really important factor moving on in this series, because I think that her matchup with Brittany Griner is going to tell us a lot about just how far Las Vegas can go, not only in this series against Phoenix, but also moving forward as we get into the real championship picture, because I think that Liz Cambridge is the difference between this team being able to win a championship or not, especially if, if Chicago, for example, could be the other team on the other side with the kind of depth that they have at the guard position. How do you hurt that with strong front court play um, that can slow the game down? And Liz Cambridge definitely helps that. Um, I want to ask you a question, though, that I thought was really interesting um, in this game. Um, from the Las Vegas Aces side, we didn't see very much from the two MVP caliber players that we have in this series from Las Vegas being Liz Cambridge, obviously, who's on a pitch count, and Aja Wilson, who only had 15 points, along with nine rebounds, three assists. Um, and it was a relatively light night for her. She was, I believe, fourth in terms of shot attempts on this team, seven of 12 on the night, which is a really interesting factor as well. Do you think that this Las Vegas Aces team can win this series in particular with a um, Aja Wilson, who we could say is either taking a step back or is kind of a little slow to start? Or do you think that this could be something that could pose problems for them throughout the rest of this series. I definitely think they have a chance. And something I mentioned when I transitioned to this series was the play of this, of this backcourt trio for Las Vegas, Raquina Williams, Chelsea Gray, and Kelsey Plum put up a combined 68 points for the aces, 68 of the aces, 96 points. And they also hit nine threes in that game, which 
I think is also interesting because the Aces are not a team that heavily relies on the three-point shot. I think what will be interesting in this series will be the play of this backcourt trio of Kelsey Plummer, Karina Williams, and uh, Chelsea Gray, because I would not be surprised if the Aces continue to rely on them as Cambridge is slowly making her way back into the lineup. We saw in her nine minutes, she scored seven points, which I thought was really impressive. But I think for the time being, I think Bill Ambeer is going to have to look at what he has right now. And I think the thing that worked for them in this game was relying on their backcourt to make plays and make shots. And I think that's something that going forward, I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to rely on those three players. Yeah, I mean, I just find it interesting just because of the fact that I think that this is something that I don't think will be a trend for them. I don't think that Aja Wilson will take such a uh, touch, such a step back. I think that the main thing is just going to be um, looking at particular matchups and what players do on particular nights. And this just was Kelsey Plum's night. I think that might have been one of the bigger things when you talk about how she was able to do from beyond the arc, three of seven from beyond the, uh, the arc, beyond the arc, along with Raquana Williams, who also um, followed up pretty well with four of nine from three point line land on her um, on her side of things. So, I mean, when you really look at the circumstances, I mean, this is a team that has the kind of versatility to be in a really good position. I just wonder how long um, it'll be before Oz Wilson decides to go off. I don't think it'll be very long, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. And that's an interesting way to transition to our question of the day for our fans. Do you think Aja Wilson will have a big game in game two of the series with the Phoenix Mercury? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.